Welcome to the latest episode of the Voluntary Tackle, the only out-of-work NRL podcast donating its JobKeeper stimulus package to Todd Greenberg. He seems to need it more than us. Now, because we ran way over time the last time we recorded, we've decided to release a part two episode of Cameron Smith's Court Martial, and we're also joined by my old man Charlie at the back end to see what he thinks of all this NRL shutdown business. So without any further delay, I present to you more of Media Watch Mario and Xander Risotto waxing lyrical about the greatest game of all. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Empty stadiums. Now that's an unusual way to watch football. In fact, unusual is probably too nice a term. It's a shit way to watch football. Let's be completely honest. And yes, I know Rugby Union has been doing it for years, uh, but still, I'm no fan. And so on the show today, we're asking if the NRL should step up and inject some fake crowd noise into games to make it seem a little less sad and empty. In other words, a little less like the career and accomplishments of Ben Roberts. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a good idea or not, but I am going to pose it to the team. We'll start with you, Xander. How do you feel about the idea of injecting essentially what a sitcom would call a laugh track uh, on the game of NRL so we don't have that kind of weird, empty stadium feel with broadcasts? This one, it kind of makes me laugh because I feel like every game at Homebush that is in a, a state of origin or, or a final um, kind of feels like this anyway. I mean, just look at basically every South Sydney game that's played there, they've it, it, it feels like it's being played to nobody. Um, I don't actually think it's that big a problem. The first couple of games that were played um, in that uh, empty round, I thought I was going to really um, dislike it, but hear the hits and you could hear the calls the players were making. I actually kind of enjoyed it. That's an interesting point, Mario. I mean, I found the same thing. There was sort of verbal out there that I'd never heard before because typically it is drowned out by the crowd noise. Are there some advantages to having empty stadiums as a viewer? I think we need to think outside the box here. Crowd noise, you can see that there's no one there. Crowd noise, it just it would make, make it worse, not better. What we should inject instead is get, get a soundboard, get some really good effective sound effects, and perhaps every time Jorge Tafua bends someone in half with one of his ridiculous tackles, you know, insert the Wilhelm scream or something like that. Let's think outside the box. So essentially turn the game of rugby league into Australia's funniest home videos with weird sound effects. I think I absolutely Wilhelm screen should be inserted into every single tackle. I think that would just be amazing. And uh, I don't know, you could throw in a few slip bananas every time a player flips out of a tackle. You could have a lot of fun with it, actually. Could we do things like musical scores? I know a number of games have been pumping music at the home ground to sort of alleviate that emptiness, that echo. No, no. I was actually just about to say how much I hate the music pumped out. I mean, I hate it when I, I'm at a full stadium. I hate the music. We're not, it's not basketball for fuck's sake. But doing it when the stadium is empty is just ridiculous. Maybe if you're going to get, you know, 
a band, a whole big group of kids on the sideline doing some sort of actual musical, you know, pumping out lame Miz or cats or some garbage like that. It might actually be interesting because, you know, apparently kids are worth sacrificing for the coronavirus anyway. So let's just let them all out there and infect each other because that's the, the government policy anyway. I think they're still transmitters, even though they're asymptomatic. I like the way your head's at. So you're saying sort of big operatic pieces, because I was thinking more like sitcom musical scores. I mean, I'd be kind of appreciative if every NRL game was set to the musical tones of the old sitcom Perfect Strangers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, We'll play it a little bit now, actually. Nothing to rearrange Sometimes you just Get a feeling like you need Some kind of change No matter what the odds are this time Perfect Strangers, are you guys familiar with that one at all? No No I knew, I just knew when I made that joke That it was just for me And uh, I'm a selfish person like that Sometimes I'll say things on this show and it's completely for my amusement only. So no one's aware of the comedy stylings of Balky Bartokomus. All right, forget music. What about spoken words? We make it a bit more of a, a dramatic piece, like maybe some famous speeches through time. Would an NRL game be more appealing, set to the sound of a Nelson Mandela speech about equality, for example? Um, I, I actually listened to a podcast about Hey Hey It's Saturday because I'm strange, and uh, someone, it reminds me, there was a guy whose name is escaping me. It was like something Bartholomew or something. He was this bloke who would get up on there and he would just talk very, he would do poetry or something like that. And it was for some reason funny. I don't remember the details, but I just, I remember his face and I remember them talking about it in the show. So I think he would be the sort of guy that you'd want to get up there by the sounds of it. Yeah, he's a really horrible comedian from the 80s. I know the guy you're talking about. Um, Xander, look, these are all horrible ideas, obviously. I'm hoping you have a good one. Like I said, I don't think they should in- inject any background noise. I do like uh, hearing what the refs are saying directly to them and the fact that you can hear them calling plays. Um, and you can actually hear the, the hits. You can genuinely hear guys when they get mm. tackled. Like, I mean, you know when you're at the ground and you're close to the, the action, sometimes you really do hear them smack, like the, the flesh on flesh like clashes of those those big hits. I'm with you, actually. I love the idea that if there's one major benefit that those first two rounds had was the fact that you could hear those hits. And I guess the inner neo-Nazi in me really enjoyed that. I love the idea of the, the bones coming together and the crunching, and you could actually hear people's ACL joints expand. I quite like that, especially in high digital uh, audio, which I do have with my Bose speakers. Uh, but look, we did put this out to social media as well, as we do with most things. Um, and we asked, should we add crowd noise to NRL games that are played in empty stadiums? 67.2% said, fuck no. We had a few comments below here as well. The first comes from Sandy Hunter, who said, no, it would be like those sitcoms with laugh tracks. I'd be happy to just see the game of footy. That's a good point, Sandy. Uh, Barry Harden-Upman from the Barry Harden-Upman podcast, Get Around It, he said, I'd happily sit in each empty stadium and hurl abuse for 80 minutes at each game as long as what I shout was audible. So maybe that should be the, the, the solve here, fellas. Maybe it's, okay, we've got no crowds, but maybe we should allow just one person in, one person who is certainly self-isolating, they're not near other people, and they're allowed to hurl as much abuse at players as possible, and that's the only audio track that viewers at home get. Mario, is there any credence to that idea? 
only if that person is going to follow the accepted um, rugby league cliches. If he doesn't yell out, get him back the 10 all day, sir, forward for every single pass, then is what's the point? Yeah, so we need someone in there who has a clear alcohol issue. More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, Quade Cooper, perhaps the most famous saloon door ever to play rugby union and fresh from going viral in the United States for throwing a flick pass to some dude in slow motion. He's now hinting, like he does every year, that he might want to finish his career with a run in the National Rugby League. The question we're asking on the show today is, does Quade Cooper have anything to offer rugby league in 2020 besides syphilis? We're going to start with you, Xander, because we know you're a rugby union man. Would you like to see Quade Cooper have a run around in the NRL? No. For the love of God, no. I just... <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a guy with some good you know, trick shots, but he's 32 already. Um, you know, I mean, he'd be... He'd be having to learn the new structures mid-course. Um, it'd be a little bit like when Benji Marshall tried to go and play for the Blues and just assume that he'd pick it all up immediately. It just won't work. He's too old and he has deficiencies in defence that you cannot hide in league. Is that a bit of a diss comparing Benji Marshall, the great Benji Marshall, to Quade Cooper, who's often compared to Japanese tissue paper? Well, they, 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 both, they both have a similar kind of style of play, right? They're, they're both big um, exponents of the flick pass and have good uh, cut-out passing game and good vision and all the rest of it. Um, Benji can tackle. He couldn't always tackle very well. But the, the comparison is that, you know, he'd be jumping midstream, right? Like, and that's, that, that's the issue. And I just don't think he could make the, the transition, particularly at his age. Now, I don't watch a lot of rugby union, and that is to say I watch none of it with intention. But uh, for the listeners' benefit who may not have watched rugby union, where is he at at the moment, Quade Cooper? Is he actually playing for a club or is he a free agent? Unwanted in reserve grade of rugby, last I saw. I believe he's, he, he was actually playing last I checked. You know, I should, I should fact check this because I thought he was at uh, the Melbourne Rebels. See, that's how bad it is. We're not really sure where he plays. So that probably gives you some indication uh, of where his career is at. Now, look, if a club was to take him, who would it be? Now, I've only uh, looked in the last day or so. Normally, Quake Cooper comes out and says this every year, and I'm sure it's a bit of a contract ploy to boost, you know, another 10 grand on this pretty shitty contract. But the Tigers, the West Tigers, have legitimately, and I can confirm this, reached out to Quade Cooper's management. So that's almost as real as it gets for Quade Cooper. This could be it's a bit like the boy who cried wolf. This could actually be legitimate. I'm going to go to you, Mario. Would you like to see Quade Cooper playing for a club like the Tigers? Do you think he'd have something to offer? I would love to see Quade Cooper play for any team that is not my team because I think he would do very badly and be a detriment to that club. So I'm all for it. So you'd love to see him just for that kind of Victorian freak show aspect to it, to kind of see him completely humiliate himself and eventually shit his own shorts. There are a few teams in the competition who do bad contracts better than the Tigers. And if they're, if they're that desperate to decline that they want to take on someone like him, then, yeah, bring it on. Well, I made this point on Twitter. You know, you couldn't be any worse a defender than uh, Joey Lalua, surely. But I'm going to go back to the rugby union expertise of Xander for a second. Mate, uh, if he was to make the pilgrimage across the rugby league, what position would he play? I'm assuming he'd be in the halves, wouldn't he? Yeah, no, you'd you, you put him at 5'8", um, just because that's 
you know, the, the obvious place from you wouldn't, I wouldn't think you'd want him to be a half back as such. Um, but uh, with his passing game, uh, I think that's the obvious place to, uh, to put him. The only place I see in Mario acclimatising, given he can't tackle, would be up at the Titans. He might be amongst friends there. Could there be a chance the Titans take him on? Well, I mean, Bryce Cartwright would certainly be a good a good inspiration to him to show that you can have a rugby league career without any intention of ever making a tackle. So it does seem like the perfect place for him. That's right. Cartwright could be a bit of a sort of a mentor, I would imagine, a rugby league mentor for someone like Quaid who could say, look, I'm still earning sort of six-figure salaries and I haven't tackled anyone in years. I mean, and what an intelligent bloke uh, Bryce Cartwright is. He, we need a rugby league player to be a mentor to somebody. I definitely think of Bryce Cartwright. Especially when it comes to germ theory. Uh, but we put this out to Twitter as well, and we asked, would Quay Cooper be successful in the NRL? And naturally, 73% said, fuck no. Uh, but we did have a few comments below, and uh, another one here comes from Giannis. He's been very active on the socials today. He said, I suggest he's forced to play for the Roosters in much the same way we have weighted handicaps in horse racing. If Trent wants to prove he is a super coach, let's see him coach this show pony. Xander, is this just something that the Roosters should take on as almost, you know how in lawyers you have pro bono work? Maybe a club like the Roosters should take on uh, the signature of someone like Quade Cooper just to prove that they can overcome having a fucking idiot in their team. You know what? Um, if anyone could do it, it would be Robbo. But um, Jesus, I don't like our chances. Mario, you'd like this one. This one comes from Enormous Seal. He said, might go okay as a turnstile into Brookvale Oval. He can perform something he is an expert at, and it means Brookie will have one turnstile that works and isn't failing to shit. Can, can you vouch for that? Is, is Brookie in such disrepair that it would need to have a failed rugby union import to be a turnstile at the ground? I think as a troll, it was a perfectly successful troll by young Mitch, but as <laughs> as an accurate thing, it fails dismally. Man, Brookvale Oval is sadly dilapidated because of being in a previously safe liberal seat. It means that all we get is empty promises and no actual delivery. Um, but yes, the turnstiles work. I've been through every single turnstile there many times and it's fine. Mate, have they got over that asbestos problem? I know that sort of came up as a story last year and everyone sort of brushed it over and said, oh, yeah, that that hill has asbestos on it. It's fine. Have they actually managed to get over that problem yet? Well, it, the, the news disappeared. There was never any actual evidence that I saw that the asbestos actually came from the ground, only that it was found there. And given that it's a public park where people can walk their dogs, don't even start me on that, there's absolutely nothing stopping anyone from just planting it there just for just for shits and gigs. It could have just been some builder who didn't want to dispose of his stuff. He's like, oh, well, I'm a I'm a you know storm fan. Fuck Manly. I'm going to dump this here just to screw them up. You know, like I'm I'm not saying that's what it was, but I never heard an actual conclusion on that. So I just thought it just seemed like a big load of bullshit to me, to be honest. I'd certainly, if there was someone dumping asbestos on purpose in Brookie, I'd probably blame someone like Greg Florimo, who has a bit of an axe to grind. But look, I agree with you. I don't think it's actually a thing. If anything, it might have you might have sold me a few years ago when you had the likes of Brent Kite playing for you, who had pretty poor cardiovascular fitness. I'm going to go over to you, Xander, because uh, I'm going. To, the reason I am is because you've actually commented underneath our poll, so you've pulled a Mario, and I'm going to call that a Mario from now on. Now you've said um, no. 
can't tackle and is at the back end of his career, it's too late for him to adjust to league structures or to be anything other than a middling player. And when I read your comment, Xander, I remember thinking, that seems like a pretty charitable interpretation to call Quade Cooper a middling NRL player, potentially. Do you want to downgrade that a little bit more? Because I'd love for you to rip on him. <laughs> no, I don't think it'd be. I mean, given given the, uh, I guess, the lack of genuinely creative halves, he could be a creative half in rugby league because he's got that style of game. He's got good vision. He's got a good kicking game. He could absolutely create stuff, but he would let in so many tries that he would never be anything other than middling. Weirdly, this actually got the most traction, 520 votes. People really wanted to weigh in on Twitter to tell everyone how shit they thought Quade Cooper would be. i got to say, if he turns up at the Tigers, it will be something that's a little bit intriguing. I want to know just how bad he could be in the NRL because my, my thoughts are that he would be pretty bad and pretty diabolical, but... It might be pretty funny stuff. It, it could be like watching Latrell Mitchell play fullback. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. It's time for... Venom, freedom, venom. Finem. This is, of course, a segment that we've revived recently and we pose... Uh, some scenarios to both Media Watch Mario and Xander Risotto, and we just sort of tax their brain to see how they would handle these, albeit very unlikely scenarios. And we're going to jump straight into it. Uh, the first one is the red bandana is removed from Peter Fitzsimons, uh, the NRL supervillain that you've probably all heard of. Now, it actually, when it take take it off his bald head, there's actually a tattoo there that reveals the words deaf to the NRL and all of the blue-collared swine that resides within it. Now, I want to know, that's obviously a lot of words. Uh, remember, it's quite a large melon. I want to know from you guys, would you ban him, praise him, or fine him? I'm going to start with you, Mario. Can I can I have an option of sending him to the gulag or something like that? Uh, yeah, the, you, the yeah last... it's pretty medieval, if you like. Well, the last person to have... Um so much of a vendetta against rugby league was indeed Adolf Hitler, who banned it from France after annexing the country. So as far as I'm concerned, he is no better than Hitler or maybe only a little tiny bit better. Um, and so I just don't think banning him is adequate unless we can ban him to out of Siberia. I love it. So you'd love to see him off himself deep within a military bunker. What about you, Xander? Um, I first would like to acknowledge that we have now um, demonstrated Godwin's law in this episode again, uh, <laughs> invoking <laughs> Hitler. Um, I I think actually he should be praised because it's finally him admitting that he has an agenda. So I like to see people wear um, their heart on their sleeves, or in this case, their heart on their bald head. Um, but I, I think I think a transparency is something that should always be praised. I love it, mate. That's actually a very good answer. Um, I mean, look, I had uh, potentially remove it with sandpaper, but I much prefer yours. We're going to go into scenario two. Now, an investigation reveals that Darius Boyd actually gets paid double for home games, and that's the real reason that he doesn't want to play any matches in Sydney. Should we ban him, praise him, or fine him? I'm going to start with you, Xander, this time. Ban him. Ban, ban him from rugby league full stop because I think that demonstrates a level of xenophobia against non-Queensland or non-Brisbane stadia that shouldn't be tolerated. I think quite differently on this one. I think we should fine him. He is just looking, as usual, for any excuse to not do his job, whether that be not going to New South Wales or just you know lying down on the job. 
if we issue him with a fine, he has to lose his income and still turn up to work. So, yep, I'm going with a fine. Look, as long as Darius Boyd's suffering, I'm okay with both of those. Look, I'd like to see him banned from Queensland as a sort of form of cruel and unusual punishment, just away from his family, because I know that's what he loves most. Uh, We've got the scenario three here. Now, Cooper Cronk's house is raided by mistake. However, drug police are startled to find that his walls are littered with portraits of giant black penises. Now, this is unusual, Mario. Um, What should the reaction be here? Can I just say it's none of our business if he wants to have, you know, giant black penises, that's okay. So I'll say praise him for being, you know, willing to embrace his um, particular proclivities. Very tactfully put. Praise him for having bold tastes. Xander, do you agree with that? Yep, I think he's a, it, it shows Cooper to be a real exponent of the inclusive kind of society that we want. And he should absolutely be praised and recognised for that. We come to the last scenario, boys. Now, it comes to light that every headgear that Jonathan Thurston had been giving away at games to young kids, they're actually being taken back off them and sold on Craigslist to give the North Queensland Cowboys extra cap space. What should happen to Jonathan Thurston there, you think? We're going to start with you, Xander. Well, I mean, it's creative. Um, I think... I think he should be fined because ultimately this is, to me, sounds like a, a salary cap law. So I think, A, he should be fined, and B, he should have the 2015 grand final stricken. I love that idea. Take the 2015 premiership off him. Mario, do you agree with that? I definitely don't want the premiership taken off him because then it's given to Brisbane, and Brisbane fan tears over that year are worth their weight in gold. When a premiership is stripped off of a club, it doesn't go to the, the, the runner-up. It just goes to nobody. Well, I think that it should, though, right? I think I actually don't think it should go to the runner-up. I think it should go for whoever ran seventh. Now we're going to move on to another really exciting uh, segment. In fact, it's brand new. It's called the Voluntary Tackle Thought Bubble. I hope you've done your homework. I've asked both of you to bring the show today to brand new ideas that our listeners have never heard Uh, that will actually improve the game in some way. Now, it's a very wide brief, uh, but I want them to be very innovative and I want them to have uh, the ability to change the game forever. Is that stating overstating the situation? I'm good. I'm good with it. Obviously, you're very confident there, Mario. We'll probably start with you. What big rugby league thought bubble have you brought to us today? I think this is... I'm not going to say it's 100% original. I think it's an adaptation on something that you may well have mentioned on the show way back in the day. Um, I think we need to institute a new version of multi-ball. If you think of one-day cricket, they have the power play uh, period of time. I think if we had a multi-ball set up where you just had two balls and each team can choose a one-minute period during the game at any point that they desire so presumably when they're on attack where they just sneakily bring out a second ball and the team has to defend both balls for that one minute period is there a chance you can get a double try under that scenario is that how you see it i'm certainly assuming so but of course if you if there's a drop ball it gets extra confusing because part of the the other team grabs the ball they think do we run up field with this ball or do we stop them scoring and you have to have you know, set plays in place where your best defensive players stay in position to defend the other ball and your best attacking players, presumably, are trying to run off and score so you can kill two birds with one stone. It would be 
all sorts of tactical requirements that have never been seen in the game before. And I think it could revolutionise the game. So you could effectively have a team that's on the attack and defending their goal line at the same time. Xander, what do you think of uh, Mario's multi-ball idea? Do you think it has legs? I genuinely don't understand it. So, um, yeah, maybe. That could be like any of the rules that the NRL have brought in this year. Let's go to yours, mate. What what big uh, voluntary tackle thought bubble have you brought to the table today? Initially, just having this quite simple, and my my suggested rule change is the one I've been wanting to see for ages, and that is um, to see the video referee replaced by a cricket system where they only come into the game when uh, there is a captain's challenge. So removing removing the current captain's challenge system and making it only for try scoring situations and having the on field ref. Uh, have their call stand. Uh, so that would basically make it a little bit more like a, a an out-not-out out, uh, situation with cricket where the impetus on whether or not a trial was correct is more on the, um, the, the captains rather than the referees. Murray, you're probably aware of this, that we've been quite vocal on the idea of the captain's challenge not being a bad thing so long as the video ref, their role in the game is minimised. What do you think of Xander's suggestion there that, you know, the captain's challenge should come in, but the video ref's role should be mitigated, in fact, to the point where it doesn't really come in at all unless a captain challenges it? I'm assuming that's what you're getting at, Xander. Mario, do you think that's a, not a bad idea, or where do you stand on that? Oh, you know, whether or not it's a bad idea isn't the point. You wanted an original idea. This has been floated by 100 people since time <laughs> in the morning. So, frankly, I'm unimpressed by this effort by Xander. If I'm going to take it seriously, though, yes, I've... I'm sure I've said much the same thing. I, I think the whole point of captain's challenge should be to reduce the amount of video ref generally. But at the same time, the game has plenty of stoppages. The video ref should be able to just make live calls. They can watch and in a split second, they can say that was a knock on the ref's wrong. Whisper in his ear. We don't need to know the video ref has made a decision. The ref can just, you know, quickly say that was a knock on back there, you know, ball, whoever. I think there should be more of that where it's not necessarily seen. They can just have quick calls. They might get them wrong, but they'll get them wrong less often. I think we used to have that where the video ref used to do the whisper in the ear thing, but it kind of got awkward when the ref kind of didn't hear him the first time and the play continued and then he called it back. So all we need is to have some sort of electric shock system. So there's a knock on, you deal an electric shock to one particular part of their body. If it's a forward pass, you deal an electric shock to another part of the body and, you know, probably inject energy into the refs as well, that little bit of extra electricity. So it's going to be a good thing overall. I love you. I love where your head's at, Mariano. I love the fact that you've revisited the kind of Auschwitz-type tactics that you've already previously brought into the show and you've, you've certainly got a recurring theme here on the show today and I appreciate that. From what it's worth, I have also brought an idea to the table and I want you guys to give me your honest opinion. Be as candid as you can be. Now, you probably have, have seen you know, a lot of these sort of ScoMo interviews and um, you know, anything involved in politics now typically has someone doing sign language in the sort of bottom left-hand corner now. I was wondering if maybe we could bring a person into the world of rugby league who's doing sign language and we also have a lot of players on the field saying a lot of things, a lot of the time quite crude. What do you guys think of the idea of having a person in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen signing what the players are actually saying throughout a game? Do you think there's legs in that one? Yes, and um, if I can if I can posit a, a, a position, I think they should be allowed 
to uh, sign obscenities as well. Like, for example, I would have loved in 2004 if we could have had somebody in the bottom right corner um, basically just doing sign, la sign languages of middle fingers to Matt Utai as he bundled through Todd Byrne and uh, Justin Hodges. I think that would have added a lot of value to that game. In fact, you were saying much worse things, Xander, from memory. We watched that one together. Mario, what do you think of the idea of having sign language, a sign language expert on the screen? Oh, can I just quickly go back a touch there? I'm just stunned to discover that Todd Byrne ever made a Roosters team again after the 2003 Grand Final. That's shocking. I mean, it was Chris Walker and, um, yeah, and uh, Hodges that he bundled through, not Todd Byrne. Todd Byrne, his name is just kind of burned into my memory, so every negative memory of Roosters losses still has him somehow in it, even when he wasn't there. Guys, this isn't really rugby league related, but I want to hear your thoughts anyway. And it's not a popular opinion um, in 2020. Do you think there's a, a, an argument to suggest that people who communicate sign language are becoming a bit too prevalent during kind of live broadcasts? Now, there is a thing called subtitles. This was invented ages ago, uh, where people who can't hear things can actually read on the screen at the same time. Do you think the people signing uh, are a bit superfluous? Because for me, in an, in an economic climate where a lot of people have lost their jobs, it seems to me there's a bit of a racket where people who, if you know sign language, you've definitely got a job because every single live broadcast apparently needs someone to be on the sort of right-hand side of the person speaking. Being, and by the way, I think far too animated as well. I think they're, they're kind of showboating a little bit. I think most people who do sign language don't need to be as animated as they are being. I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I want to hear your thoughts. Look, I'm with you, Eamon. I'm fed up with all the advantages that deaf people have. And now big deaf are taking over our political interviews. It's just not good enough. Stop giving them all the advantages that they've already got in life and let's get rid of them. Look, I was going to offer some uh, disagreement there, but that was pretty forceful. I don't want to get on the wrong side of this particular argument <laughs> if we're going to be... If we're, if we're going... If we're going to be bundling away deaf people into camps. just want to keep out of it, frankly. Well, it's a very special treat here on the podcast. We're joined by old, my old man, Charlie. Welcome to the show, mate. Hello, Eamon. It's good to hear from you. <laughs> it's been a little while. In fact, um, Xander, my, my uh, partner in crime here on the podcast, has derided me in the past for only communicating to you via podcast. He thinks that I only ever speak about you when we're on the show, but I try to assure him that we do catch up from time to time. Yeah, so it's a bit hard now during the virus, but... Um... I just jog around... Because you're allowed out and about if you're exercising, so I just keep jogging around your house, and we fit in two or three words as I jog by. It makes the conversation really long and annoying, but it's been working a little bit, hasn't it? It has been working, and not, not, not uh, withstanding your mother doesn't like that being a secret service agent in a past life. Uh, she doesn't like any convo being aired outside the house. Yeah, she's always worried the neighbours are listening, isn't she? I know this is a very Heavy-duty conversation. Uh, well, look, we're going to talk to Rugby League, Dad. Um, obviously, it's difficult at the moment because there is none 
Um, but I did want to know, um, as a massive league tragic, how are you currently coping without having any rugby league on your TV screen? It's been very hard. It's very hard. You know, living in a, um, a very um, police state at the moment, and we got with due, due course. We can't swim. We we can't really exercise to a degree. That little dog of ours is getting to work out. Mm. I didn't think I'd love the chihuahua, but there it goes. I never thought so, you'd own a chihuahua, Dad. I tell you that much. Well, I don't know. That's your mother. You know, she's the empowered mother of yours. I didn't have any choice in the matter. There's cats and birds and fish. You know, it's a brilliant but image of him. you jogging along on a, with a chihuahua on a leash. I love well, that image. Jogging, walking quickly. <laughs> because if you were to be jogging, it's got such small legs that you'd just be dragging the dog along. You wouldn't even be walking it. It suits me fine. It's about my speed at the moment. <laughs> so, but as I said, you can't swim. We can't watch sport. We're all, there's going to be a lot of mental cases over this. You know? Did you realise, I don't know if you've had the same experience that I've had, but did you realise just how big a role sport plays in your life? Because I know when it, when it went off, I remember thinking, well, this is, that sucks. I love rugby league. But then after a few weeks, I've gone, wow, I didn't realise how much time I'd actually spent reading about league, watching rugby league, uh, listening to others talk about rugby league. <laughs> like it, it's, uh, it probably took up a much bigger percentage than I ever anticipated. What about you? Have you found there's been a bit of a, a, bit of a gaping hole left? It is. It's, it's a way of life, um, looking at rugby league and, and all sports for me because I've played a lot of them and mm. I just like it. It's an outlet. It's a release, and you can have a couple of beers and watch them and scream and jump it, which I still do at my age, jump towards the TV, and I haven't broken one yet. Well, actually, for the listener's benefit, um, you might think that Charlie's exaggerating, but uh, he actually physically does that, particularly in big games. He starts watching the game from about four or five centimetres from the screen, which is weird because at that proximity, normally it's just a blur of colours. I don't know how you take the game in from that proximity but it's um you've always done it haven't you <laughs> not always when it's a vital moment i do advance towards the set that's for sure <laughs> like the soldiers running over the hill it's yeah, funny and, and you're probably right there is a bit of a blur of colors i think it's been counterproductive you made a good point next time when it resumes i'll try to stand back at least 1.5 meters yeah if, if anything it should become clearer if you go the other way maybe you should be advancing away from the screen the more tense the well, game gets. Well, you didn't get what I said, Socially, di- social distancing, 1.5. Now, have you found yourself watching any other sports? There's obviously not a lot of sport happening around the world. There's a, there's probably You can probably count them on one hand. Have you found yourself an obscure sport in Belarusia to follow or um, somewhere in Slovakia? I hear they do play European handball still pretty vigorously and, there. Have you found anything? Now you're getting ridiculous, <laughs> but... Uh, I can't find. I can't watch second-hand sport too. I can watch a bit of it, as you said, old games, you know, state of origins. But the only thing I watch at the moment, which is still running, I don't understand why horse racing. And um, well, you're a bit of a TAB man as well, aren't you, Dad? So have you been just watching it without bets? Because that's it does change the it, complexion of racing. It is hard. <laughs> well, that, it's the old paradox. It tends to be a lot more winners than losers as soon as I. Don't have a bet. I can't imagine sitting back and watching a dog's race without having a bet on which dog I want to win. I, I don't know if I'd get any joy out of that. Well, I just want to see if my system's still working, it's still applying. Um, now, you said you don't really like watching replays of rugby league games. Why is that? I didn't so uh, not exactly. I said it's still, you know, the result, number one. But yeah, um, I will watch it to a degree. 
but um, I still the live thing you can't you can't beat. You know, I, I highly recommend it, Dad, because uh, on NRL.com at the moment you can go back and watch. I think it's every grand final up until 1960, um, and it's pretty amazing because obviously there's a few GFs there that I haven't seen that predate me. And I took the liberty last week of watching the 2006 grand final against that was the Broncos versus the Storm uh, in the bath. I put the the laptop on the table and I, I drew a bath with the bubbles and everything. It was a hell of a way to spend 80 minutes. Yeah, well, some might call you a sick puppy, but, you know, to each his own. <laughs> I think what made it really sick was the fact I used Peppa Pig bath bubbles, which I don't even know why we've got that in the house. It's an unusual item for us to have in the house at the moment because there are no children at this stage. Yes, it, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that with you. <laughs> now, Dad, I, there's been a lot of talk. Obviously, the NRL have come out and have announced a May 28 return which has got a lot of rugby league fans very, very excited. Um, however, they didn't release a lot of surrounding detail. And when I say not much, I mean none. Um, it's just a date at this stage. When you heard that May 28 return, were you excited? What, what were the thoughts that were running through your head? Combination of two, I was excited and then apprehensive because it was curtailed in the first instance because of the border. Three teams are obviously up, up north, one's mm. down south. And one's across the uh, the ditch. So uh, when when she pulled the plug, the Premier for Queensland, that was it. And that's why it stopped. So I can't understand how it could possibly start up again. What if they were to host every game in New South Wales? Now, there's no lockdown on the New South Wales border. If we were to play every game in Sydney, for example, do you think they might make an exception to fly players into a special quarantine zone and play every game there? Well, what's the quarantine time? It's normally the standard's two weeks. Yeah, that's right. So, so you probably yeah. fly them in two weeks before May 28. And what after the game then? You've got to wait two weeks again. No, because they've all been tested and, and quarantined and put in a bubble, essentially. So they wouldn't need to be retested unless uh, there was some kind of breach in the bubble. But yeah, I think the idea would be you test everyone, you quarantine them, and if after 14 days everyone's sweet, you play on and no one leaves the bubble. Oh, interesting. If they can get it logistically working and then not putting players at risk and their families. So I don't know. It's, there's a lot, lot ahead of it. I know it's, it's plateauing a little bit. It's only plateauing because of people dying and once they're dead, they're dead. So I think they're going to run out of bodies. That's why the bloody thing, the curve is plateauing all around the world. Mm. Which they're carrying out thousands dead. I love the fact that there's a chance of coming back at May 28. Obviously, I really, really want that to happen, but not at any cost, right? So if if they come back and their plan is to just play on as normal and try to fly over all the borders and no player is quarantined, it, that strikes me as a bit risky. It is, oh, for sure. There's a lot. I know, I can't understand how they've got a date. They've obviously got a date because they could play X amount of games. And I don't know why Nick was over ill too. I'll... I'll Mr. Politis. Well, let's we talk about started, him, we Charlie. Started, we should have started from scratch. <laughs> is that Where your... the support? I think it's... No. I was going to no. say, is that your outrageous bias or do you actually believe that? No, of course not. They've, they've, those teams that won the games at that point, they've done it fair and square. So we start from where, where we're finished. You know? Where do you After reckon Nick Politis is coming from there? Obviously, there's, it's self-interest, but is there any logic to what he's saying for you? I don't think there's any logic. It was just reason out. It was an outrageous thing to say, really. 
I thought so too. As if the Roosters need... Considering, sorry, considering the Roosters never won a game, we lost their first two. Exactly. So it does, the optics of it look pretty bad. And as if the Roosters need more reasons for fans to hate us. Nick's just given them a lot more well, ammunition. I, I, know, I believe on, dare I say, social media, media they give him a serve, so I think he's pulled his head in. Well, I, don't, I, I very much doubt Nick's on social media, Dad. He's probably never even heard of Twitter. But, um, well, you know... Well, I, even in the papers, I think, they, now they jump, jump on it. If and when the comp does return, what do you think it will look like? It's obviously going to be an abbreviated season because of the date. Um, I'm assuming they'll probably play a lot longer um, during the, into the year, probably even closer to Christmas, potentially. What what kind of um, vision do you have of what the comp will look like? should just go on, and if they've got to cut off the last X amount of games, they cut them off, but... The, the draw is already out, so they shouldn't, they shouldn't change the draw to complicate things. Well, they might have to, though, if there's not enough time to accommodate the draw. <coughs> so I think the idea might be uh, I'm hearing every team plays each other once and there'll be no double-ups. It would, As a fan, would you be happy with that if that's what happened? Yeah, well, you can only be fair, and that, that sounds fair. It's no use playing like a, a lesser side twice. Mm. You know, we play each other once, and that's, that seems to me common sense. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. And I guess no one can complain there neither, right? Because playing each other once is about as fair as a, a competition draw can get. It is. You're opening up old wounds. All of the, comp, uh, the draw in the last few years, all of a sudden you play the same team within four or five weeks. What's that all about? I, you know, I've never liked that. It's insanity. Yeah, no, I've never. It's ridiculous. And I've never had anyone at the NRL come out and explain exactly why they do that. They always talk about it being a complicated system. They apparently feed it into this supercomputer, and it and they go, "What? Well, these are all the logistics we need the, the draw to meet," and then it spits it out, and they just run with that as so long as there's well, no major dramas it. with it. It seems odd to me. So a bloody computer's running the draw. What a joke. <laughs> Haven't they got a brain between them? You know, it's, it's gone on for a thousand years how, how they organise the draw. Mm. You play each other once and then if you're in overlap, you play the next team and so on, you know? Before the competition was cut short, there was obviously two rounds of footy played. Which couple of teams impressed you the most in those first two rounds? Was there anyone you were surprised by? <clears throat> That's a hard call. Uh, Manly, I say, uh, they played well. I think the usual suspects, and then and Penrith, Penrith, they, 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 I'm only saying it because they beat the Roosters, but both those games are very good games. They, they both played well, those two teams. Yeah, Penrith, obviously, I think they won both their games. I think Manly won one, lost one. They just lost to Melbourne. Well, not not on the scoreboard, but um, there was a tight match for 60 minutes until Cameron Smith mm. <laughs> kind of... Ex- Tighten the screws on everyone. So you had Parramatta, obviously, at the top, but I don't think they really played anyone of note. The Knights were playing well. The Raiders were playing well. The Storm were there as usual. I thought the Broncos um, were actually my most impressive surprise packet. I thought they looked like a completely different side to what they looked like last year. They were playing with improved structures. That forward pack looked more devastating, and even Brodie Croft in the halves looked pretty good. Well, they've got an awesome pack, but how does it work with the... Um, who's the forward who got the um, five weeks, the usual suspect? Yeah, Tavita Pangai Jr., was it? That's him. I can never remember all these island names. Yeah, that's him. But how does that work now when it starts again? That, that's a, a great question. I was actually thinking about that. How do suspensions work in an abbreviated format? You'd think 
they'd have to proportionally bring down the suspension in line with how much the comp's been reduced. So if the comp was only 80% of what it was, you'd imagine they'd probably 80% say... 80% of his suspension. Yeah, that's what I'd be thinking. I don't know if... It depends what the supercomputer says. But um, I imagine that's what, <laughs> what I'd be saying. You're with this computer. Now, Charlie, uh, to, to talk uh, things that aren't COVID-19, um, I also told you that I'm putting together a, an episode, which is uh, very shortly to be released, um, of my top 20 players in the NRL era. So that's from 1998 onwards. Um, yeah, and as I was chatting to you about it, I, I, you, you sort of put your brain to work and came up with your own list. Um, are you able to name a few people for the listeners that would make your top 10? Fittler, Gaznia, Meninga, Lazarus, Johns. Ma- Mark Gaznia? Yep. Really? Oh, no, no. I'm oh, sorry, Rich. He's not in Queensland, is he? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a bolter. Okay, pull me up on it. <laughs> Definitely not, Mark. Well, let, let's go through it slowly. Let's so start with your number one. Who do you think would be your number one? That's a that's a oh, you got Billy Slater. You got so many great players. Um, probably Billy Slater is probably one of the greatest players I've seen. Yeah, you put him ahead how of how you. About, how about your list? Well, I'll, I'm going to release my list soon, so I can't reveal it on air because it's going to come out maybe after this episode. Okay. Uh, I, I was thinking Slater, Fittler, um, Meninga, does he qualify in the 98? He retired early, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, he didn't make it there. Um, well, how about we do this, though? We'll slow it down. Don't don't need to rattle them all off, but you've said Billy Slater, so tell me why you think Billy well, Slater... Can, well, he's probably one of the... Well, there, and his teammate. He, he got three from the storm there. Yeah, so I'm just they trying to ask you, if why would you select Billy Slater in your top ten? Because he's such a versatile player and, he, and he's just in your face all the time and he's a dynamo, great footwork, good speed, strength, the whole lot. Mm. And so for a lot of people, they rate Billy Slater as the best fullback of all time. Are you are you willing to say he's the best player of all time? He's up there with him, mate. Yeah, I would. Who would be ahead of him? If, if you had to put it down on the list, is there anyone that would challenge him for that number one position? Uh, well, you got Cameron Smith, his teammate, the famous trio from Storm. You know, mm. you don't you don't get a trio like that really right. in I, a lifetime. I'm going to throw some names at you then, and you let me know where they fit: Andrew Johns, okay. Brad Fittler, Darren Lockyer. Yeah, they're the three. They're, they're fantastic all footballers, but probably out of that Lockyer, I'd say. He's the most consistent, and I think he had a little bit more longevity than the other two. Fittler was sensational. Fittler in front of Johns. Yeah, but okay. I think Darren, I think Darren Lockyer ahead of those three. And what about when I throw in a Cooper Cronk and a Jonathan Thurston? Do they squeeze into your top ten? Well, Thurston, they have to, wouldn't he? Yeah. It's really Thurston difficult exercise, isn't it? It's such a hard thing to do because there are so many honourable mentions. You know, but even if you form your top ten, you just all you're doing is feeling really bad about the the other twenty players you didn't include. Exactly right. There's, uh, you're going to be leaving some out. It's just very hard to squeeze them all in. For example, Greg Inglis. Can you put him in anywhere? See, maybe we should go in for positions. Probably do it that way. Yeah, he, he's he's uh, without a doubt the best, one of the best centers of all time. Justin Hodges. No, Inglis will play him on a break. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is the only if you, if the only te- 
The only teaser I'm, I'm willing to give away is I've got Justin Hodges ahead of Inglis. Well, we all make mistakes. I honestly think if you look at those two careers that um, Inglis obviously has all those... He's made up of so many magical moments where he's run 100 metres and beat seven players. But I just think Hodges was on aggregate more effective. I think he, he laid on more tries. Um, he was more dangerous across the 80 minutes than Inglis was. There, there are plenty of games where Gug Inglis could have been guilty of doing a Latrell Mitchell, sitting out wide, waiting, waiting for the moment. Whereas Hodges is that yeah. guy that carved you up from dummy half. He did all the hard running out of his own 20. He had every trick in the book. I know he's a bit of a mug. He also he knew how to, he knew how to um, you know, stiff arm people and, and throw the knee in. But, yeah, for me, I actually got him just ahead of Inglis. So I'm imagining that's not the norm, though. He spent a bit of time on the side. He did his knee twice, didn't he? So True. But both of those guys have suffered from injury concerns, actually. What about front rowers? I think, what about the brick? The brick with always has got to be there. Lazarus? He, he's, he won four premierships, I think. Oh, the big front rowers for me were Shane Whipke and Gordon Tallis. And, and Jason Taumalolo as well. He had to make it for me. I think Tal Malolo now, um, Talis, yeah, he, he was an animal, but did, did he play that, that side all the time? You talk about he used to take little breaks in games, you know? Yeah, I think towards the back end of his career, you're probably right. But he, at least for 60, 70% of his career, he was a scary proposition. He was just he was scary. A scary. Yeah, he was scary. And uh, Webke, a great, a great club man. I don't know at the best of all time. But... Um, all right, Dad, we'll finish off. Who is one of the worst players that you remember from the from the open era? If you had to put one player up there, what, what's this open era? What's that encompass? What uh, the nineteen ninety eight onwards. Who would it be? Uh, played for the Tigers. Played for the Roosters. Braith and Astor. Braith and Astor. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the worst. <laughs> The worst player of of NRL, Braithen Astor. That's huge. Well, how do you how do you you can put somebody who's only played one game? Just, I'd be happy. To, I'd be happy for you to do that. <laughs> well, I, I found him a lot overrated and, and Astor at times. You know? Okay, so that's probably the when you're talking about that list, maybe the, the top ten most overrated players of all time. Would you say that's Braith? It was one of the. I'd say, yeah, if you wanted to do it that way, mm. it, it was one. That's a that's a curly question. That one, overrated players. It's that's a personal, personal thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's all subjective. None of us. There's no science to this. It's just you know, as an NRL fan, who you think were the best and worst players in your you know all that time watching the game. Um, look, going going down memory lane one more time, Dad. Is there a moment of watching rugby league? Where your heart was broken the most is there? Is there a moment you remember where you were more devastated than any other time watching? I'm assuming this will be a, either a, a Roosters Grand Final or a State of Origin loss. Uh, what What was it for you? It had more, more or less be any, any grand any Grand Final the Roosters lost. You know, that's uh, I don't know about heartbroken. I think to reach a Grand Final was the pinnacle anyway, but it, it's. Uh, it's more relevant when they get beat in a, in a grand final. Mm. And one of the disappointing ones is when the Storm loses, uh, not the Storm, the Broncos thrashed us. If it wasn't for Phillips saving three three tries, 
I'd say, you know, you put it back in hindsight, that, that infamous tackle by Sattler on, on our winger. Todd Byrne. <laughs> Todd Byrne. That's, I think that's, if on reflection now, I'm trying to think on my feet from that question. That that would probably go down, in, you know, one of my most, if you want to use the term, heartbreaking moments. Yeah, it well, certainly was. And won, and won the grand final, and he was run down by a, a lock. And a wing, wing about two metres in front, he caught him. Yeah, and he never got a run again, I don't think. <laughs> Todd Burns' Todd yep. Burns' career was heartbroken, so was his bank account, because I don't think anyone ever paid him any money ever again. Well, it's on the back of a magnificent pass from Fitler to put him away. I know. One of his many, many un- unbelievable passes. Do you and know that it's... same game, it's apparently when Pritter scored to try and one of our forwards, forget who it was, he was called offside and so instead of incurring the penalty, he let him go. Jason Kalis, I remember it well. You know, that's the thing about that moment that people, you never really see. You never see the beginning of the run and, and how it came about. We all just see the Scott Sattler tackle, but it was this amazing scoop off the ground pass from Brad Fittler in one motion where he fired it and put it on Todd Byrne's chest um, in, that's right. in very, very slippery conditions. It had been torrential rain all day. And uh, it's just, in a way, it's a shame that that doesn't make the real because the actual reason Todd Byrne was in space, let's face it, he's never going to be in space because of something he did. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that pass. It, it deserved a lot better. It should have been... Think, we should have been talking about that pass instead of that tackle. Exactly right. I think um, if, if you're in reflection, yeah, that, that's the... As I said before, the heartbreaking moment was that. Yeah. And just something we, we should have won and we didn't. I've got another one for you, Dad, and I don't want to rake up old graves, but I'll do it anyway. Um, I wasn't around for this. I think it was the 1980 grand final, the famous kick ahead, the bomb, and Canterbury caught the ball and, and sealed. Oh, Gearin, Gearin. Yeah. Is that something that's got to be up there as a heartbreak moment for a Roosters fan like you? Uh, but, but they, were, they, were had, they had the better of us. That was just the icing on the cake for them as far as I can see. Yeah, right. They, they were the better team, you know? And that was uh, that kick ahead and the catch by Steve Gearin. Yeah, yeah that, that's up there. One of their, their highlights. But I, I, I think they're still going to win the game despite that as well. You know, the rumour the rumor in the family, Dad, is uh, that I hear from the siblings is that that was the grand final, the only one where you've ever really decked out the house in uh, red, white and blue um, paraphernalia. <laughs> Apparently you had the streamers up, you had the balloons going, the posters... You might have even been painting the walls. I'm not sure. And then when they lost, I heard you tore it all down within half an hour of full time. Is that right? I think this is a vicious rumour. It's uh, unfounded too. Is it? Is it true that you decorated the house? I can't recall that that far. Probably, I'm not sure. I was never one for decorating, but maybe maybe I must have got something free from the news agent. This is the rumour I'm getting from the the older siblings. Apparently yeah, you did. You you pushed the boat out with that one. Apparently. Oh, yeah, I know about the two older siblings. If you want to listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dad. Well, I'll stop the torment. But um, thank you very much for joining the potty today. It's been uh, great to talk to you, and I. I do hope we get some NRL resumption soon so we next time we get you on the show, we can be talking footy. We can be. And as a sidelight, I've been talking to you alongside the local cemetery, which I've, uh, I've got a couple of plots picked out in case the big virus gets me. 
Well, you really are a planner, aren't you? I like the fact you you haven't just got the plots picked out, but you've also you're you're within really close proximity just in case. I I was silly silly thinking that your mother and I are going to be buried together. No, that's not a good idea. So I'll have to pick out two plots and uh, see if we can. Is it when they're deep? Some of these old ones are a bit deep. Is it? It won't cost anything. Just put it, put the old. Well, you actually, I, I want to be cremated, so I just put the urn in there. You know. So yeah. I don't think that's a thing to. By the way, if you're going to do it, have the plots 1.5 metres apart minimum. That's the first thing. Second thing, if you're going to go down the, the road of cremation, I'm pretty sure that rules out the idea of having a plot. Because you're well, not you're supposed to, to take up all that room. Well, you're meant to be yeah. on someone's mantelpiece somewhere or, or scattered in a, on a beach. Well, you, you saw what happened on a mantelpiece if it's on there, it gets knocked over by the cat, and that's it for that movie, <laughs> Meet the Fockers. Meet the Ferrets, yeah, no, that was, uh, no, well, hopefully that wouldn't, that'd be a worst case scenario, wouldn't it? I, I believe my next door neighbour, I won't mention any names, it's, it's got several uh, urns on the mantelpiece. I think it's so creepy, to be honest with you. It is. They're dying like flies. With her. She's been nicknamed the Black Widow. I think they're mm. so, <laughs> they're, they're right next to the inheritance true. checks. Um, Luckily, my, name, my name's Howard. <laughs> well, the thing is, that you, to keep it on your mantelpiece, this is why I think it's weird, right? Because if they weren't ashes, it's not like you're going to keep the embalmed bodies of your, your dead loved ones around the house. Like you, you bury them and you and you put them somewhere away from your home, um, but to, for some reason, if we burn people, suddenly it's socially acceptable to just whack them on a cupboard shelf or something. It's a bit strange. And there's, it's it's a bit of the coffin with it too. You've got to forget this. There is some sort of remnants of the wood in there. It's not all it's not all human. Okay, so it's a bit like the ashes, like the cricket ashes. That's right. Yeah. Now you're digressing. Do you know if you actually shake the little the cricket ashes urn, you hear a little rattle, that's stump cam. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Alright, Dad, and that really bad joke will end it there. I'm a lot like you were. Oh man, look at my life. I'm a lot like you were.